Thank you for joining us for a life-changing message from Norm Oberlin, pastor of Mount Hope Church in beautiful Gaylord, Michigan. Our prayer is that this message will help strengthen and encourage your walk with Christ. Please enjoy. And now, here is Pastor Norm. This week, the Lord played placed something on my heart. And, and I just, I don't know, I've been struggling with it all week. And uh, one of the things that hit me is that every single one of our intercessors has been under attack. And not just like a little attack, like a sniffle, but major attack. And uh, I was praying, I said, Lord, what's going on? And he said, these are your defenders. These people, and, and I love uh, Melanie, I love the, the, the word today because it was perfect for this day. We need to lift that shield of faith up. It reminded me of the, the 300 movie. Not that you should watch it because it's rated R and there's a lot of blood and gore in it. But if you saw that part where they all come together and they locked their shields, it was like a big old tortoise shell over the top of them. And all these arrows, tens of thousands of arrows are being shot at them. And they couldn't get to them because they had their shields up. Well, that's what we do when we pray for each other when we lock our shields of faith together, that, that the darts of the enemy cannot harm us. So, what hit me was that we're lacking something here. And I asked Pastor Roger, I said, can we do worship tonight? So tonight at 5 o'clock, we're going to have a time of intercessory worship and prayer. And we're inviting anybody that, that wants to come to come, but especially those who need a healing, especially those who are under attack from whatever it is, you know. And uh, I, I asked my intercessors this morning if this applied. It's always intrigued me what Jesus, or not Jesus, what the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesians in uh, Ephesians 5. It says, for husbands... Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. So we're all familiar with that, right? But the next verse, verse 26, it says, To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. And I started thinking about it. What does that mean? You know, what do we, how do we, men, how do we wash our wives in the word? Anybody? prayer and it dawned on me maybe we men and I'm not trying to pick on anybody here I'm, I'm, I'm saying this for myself maybe we men we husbands have been forgetting to pray for our wives our spouses maybe that's why they're under attack like they are right now and listen I want to encourage you guys come back tonight at five start start praying for your wives, your spouses, every morning, at least take five or ten minutes and pray for your spouse. If your marriage is in a heap, no wonder if you're not praying. It's up to you. You are the spiritual head of your home, and you need to be praying. And if you don't know how to pray, nobody's going to call you out tonight. But I'll, I'll tell you this, I believe God will honor that step of faith by you just showing up here. And if you're single, and I said this to uh, Rosemary, I said, you know what? God is your father. God is your husband. Jesus is your husband. And we are praying for you. 
you know, we're, we're going to rally around you as well. So come on back tonight at 5 o'clock. That, that's not part of the message, but I just wanted to share that. Over the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about why the church. Why do many people come together each week, and why do they need the church? How many would agree we need church? All right, especially in these days. Some believe it's negotiable whether a believer needs to, to belong to a church. And I'm going to speak to this and many other questions as we investigate this very important topic. So would you stand with me one last time here before we begin the message and just ask the Lord to touch us. And by the way, thank you, young people, for being in here today. It is a fifth Sunday, but because our uh, children's wing is destroyed, uh, we didn't want to put you in there today. So you get to stay with us. Father God, thank you for everything you're doing here today. We believe that every person is here for a reason. It's not just by chance. You brought them here. You nudged them. You convinced them. Or they just do this out of habit, which is also a good thing. It's a discipline. Lord, we pray today that you would give us hearts to receive from you. Holy Spirit, that you would pour yourself into us. Give us eyes to see the things of God, ears to hear what you're saying to the church. And Lord, grow the church. In Jesus' name we pray. We love you, Lord, and I pray that every person in this room will hear something from you, even if I don't say it. Lord, that you would speak to the hearts of every man and woman, boy and girl, before they leave here today, they'd get a nugget from you, something to hang on to the rest of this week. We love you, and we commit the people and our visitors of Mount Hope Church into your hands. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Well, I really am excited about this particular topic. It's been a while, and I've been planning to do this for a while, but I just sensed as I started to develop it that it will turn into probably a two or three week series. And I don't think you'll be bored with it, hopefully you're not, but it will grow us all up. Amen? So let's start with uh, why the church. Let's begin with a definition. Taken from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the first Definition is a building for public and especially Christian worship. We saw that this morning, right? It's also the clergy or the leaders of the church. It could be a priest, pastor, whatever. They're considered to be the church. And then there is the body. The body or the organization of religious believers with the emphasis on organization. And I hope you know that a church is a living organism, I'm going to talk about this a lot more next week. This week I'm just laying a foundation of what the church is, why the church is in existence. And I call this latter part the body of Christ, or the, the church, capital C. It's the international church as well. So anybody that considers themselves a Christian would be a part of the church, okay? So that's the definition. We see from this definition... That church can be the building or meeting place, or it can be the leadership, as well as the body of Christ, representing all believers in the world. There are also two geographical locations. One, of course, is local. The other is international. If you look on that board over there, there are many missionaries that are ministering to people in other countries. That's the international side. We send them out. Beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And you and I help send missionaries to people that have not yet heard the gospel. That's a good thing. 
It's, all of this is based upon denomination. The local church typically is a denomination, all right? And then you find non-denominational churches as well. We are a denomination. We are a part of the Assemblies of God, and we belong to the Michigan District of the Assemblies of God. I believe that their doctrines are about as close as you can get to what the scriptures say, and none of us are, are without flaw. We know that, but uh, that's why I've hung with them all these years. I really believe that they have the doctrines, the tenets of faith, if you will, the 16 fundamental truths are something that we can believe because it's straight from the Word of God. The local church typically represents a body of believers that are like-minded. We all come here realizing that, yes, this is from the Lord, and uh, that's why you choose this church. If you didn't believe in speaking in tongues, you'd go somewhere else that, that didn't believe in speaking in tongues. And I'm only using that just as an example. I'm not calling anybody out. Um, in the international church, it's more of a, all of us together. It's not separated out by denomination, but rather uh, it's all of the different denominations kind of combined together. And I believe that paints a picture of what heaven's going to look like someday. But let me add this. Heaven will not have denominations. Only those that have put their trust in Jesus are going to find themselves in heaven. So when we get there, they're not going to check your card when you come in the door. Ah, oh, were you a member of Mount Hope Church? No. They're going to ask, did you give your life to Jesus? Did you trust him with your life? That's the question that's going to be asked of you. And if you're able to say yes, come on into the party. How many are ready for that? I am. So for this study, I want to focus on the local church setting. As I see it, the local church has always been a key part of God's bigger picture, of God's bigger plan for the earth, for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. As you study the Bible, you realize that Jesus started with how many? Twelve, right? Now, he ministered to 5,000, and he could have said, hey, all you 5,000, and actually, uh, if you read the commentaries, they say that that 5,000 should have been 20, including men, women, boys, and girls. So let's just, for the sake of argument, use the 5,000. He could have said, hey, I want to train all 5,000 of you to be my church. But he didn't do that, did he? No, he started with a smaller group that he could manage, that he could pour himself into to teach them what it meant to be a Christian. And then they would, in turn, be released to go out and do the same with a small group of people. That's the local church. We begin small. Now, some churches are huge. You know, there are churches in the Houston, uh, Dallas area that are 30,000 people every Sunday. It's like, they, they have to have trams going in and out, taking the people from their cars because their cars are two miles out from the church. What a problem that would be. But honestly, I love this size church. Why? Because we know each other. And even if you grow, you have to make sure that people still know each other. That's one of the most important things of being, becoming or belonging to a church is that others know who you are and if you fall off the face of the planet, somebody's going to realize it and they're going to call you and say, hey, what's up? Michael, where have you been? No, you've been here, but I, I, you know, I'm just picking on you. 
he'd get these big deer in the headlight eyes. We're supposed to take care of one another. Jesus started with 12, and he chose those men to help carry out his father's business, which was what? We've been learning this in our Bible training class. It is to reach the world with the gospel, to make disciples of every nation so that all will hear. How did he plan to do this? Jesus makes this clear when he asked Peter in Matthew 16 who Peter thought he was. And Peter's reply was, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And to this, Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means what? Rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. That's us. That's you and me. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. When, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Let me ask you this. What are keys for? To unlock things, right? Jesus gave us the keys to the kingdom. He gave us his authority and he said, now take this and reach the world. Who did he give it to? The local church. The church. Peter. The rock. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take the keys and open doors for people. Helping, hopefully helping to lead them to Jesus and the cross. Here's the strange thing. We know from Scripture that for some reason, God chose to use man to build his church. That's crazy. Think back. Go back to the book of Genesis. God decided then to use man to do something. And in chapter 3 of Genesis, we find out he didn't do so well. And yet here we are again with probably the, the most important purpose that had to get accomplished for our salvation, and yet God again chooses to use man. Hello? Don't you think maybe this idea is a little flawed? Because humanity is flawed. You and I are broken. <laughs> Tim, would you agree that we're broken? As you look in this, and I'm picking on you, this last week, you look at what you went through this last week. Were there any times where you went, man, I blew that? Yeah, probably. Was there anybody that you got angry with or, or maybe even said something that maybe wasn't completely the truth, you know, just a little, little, ooh, little white lie. Watch it because with these glasses, I can't see that. <laughs> it's there. Quite frankly, all of us are broken. And yet, as part of the church, Jesus decided to use us anyway. What do you think he did that for? 
Because it shows that if we accomplish anything being broken and sinful, it shows that he was behind it because we can't do anything in and of ourselves. We have to give the glory to God. We have to. Because we're flawed and we're broken. Amen? So with all our flaws, even with our flaws, the Lord still chooses to use us to triumph over Satan. Think about that. He uses broken man to triumph over Satan. What do you think that does to Satan? We'll talk about him a little bit more in just a minute, but I don't think he's too happy about that. We're whooping him, and we're broken because of the power and the love and the authority that God has given us. So this plan in the beginning to build the church, Jesus began with Peter, who he called the rock. Oops. Sorry, Duane. The Apostle Peter got the name first. I thought that was funny. If you're new to this church, that's my dry sense of humor. It doesn't get any better. So Peter was the first member of God's church. Amen? How cool is that? Jesus prophesied that Peter was going to help establish the Lord's church on this earth. And that's what happened when we jump forward to Acts chapter 2. All right, all of the followers of Jesus were in the upper room. Some, some believe there were about 500 of them. And then they kind of fizzled in and out because they had to wait there several days. And you know how that is? You start out with 500 and you end up with maybe 120 by the time the event actually takes place because they're tired of praying. People give up. But not these guys. They hung in there. They stood fast. And then we know what happens next. The Holy Spirit showed up in a big way. The power of God hit them. And I, I love this uh, example of power. It's got the little power button in the O and and uh, I just happened to find this out on the internet. But the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave this to the church as the fuel to start the church. Without it, we can't do anything. It's just man-made. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing that you and I can't accomplish. And that's what we have to get in our craw. We have to understand that without God, it's useless. But I believe the Lord is in the church today. I believe he's in this church today. And he's looking for a people who will lock arms with him and lock arms with each other and see this thing through. Hallelujah. And I believe we're close to that day. I really do. Thank you, Jesus. So what happened after the Holy Spirit showed up in that room. Peter went outside. The other men went outside and they began speaking in these heavenly languages. And they were accused of being drunk. And Peter clarified that they weren't drunk. It was only 9 o'clock in the morning. And they said, listen, this is what it is. The Holy Spirit filled us. It's the power of God. And then he began to preach Christ. He began to preach the cross. And that day, the Bible says, nearly 3,000 people 
accepted Jesus as their Lord that day. That's the beginning of the local church. It happened right there. Hallelujah. So how did the early church do church? Did they have buildings? No. Where did they meet? Homes. Where else? Many of them were uh, Jewish. They were converted Jews. So they met in the synagogues. They took advantage of the places they already had. That's why the Jewish leaders were so mad at them. Because they were converting the Jews. They didn't like that for some reason. Understandably so. So they didn't have church buildings, but they found a way to get around that. They met in homes. And they met together in any place where they could, really. This uh, verse here, Acts 2.44, it says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. What this says to me is it's important that we come together. We need to be unified. When the followers of Jesus met in the upper room, it says they were of one mind. They were in one accord. And what happened? The Holy Spirit showed up. When we come together and we're one mind, we're united, one spirit, the Holy Spirit shows up. But it requires all of the members to be a part of this. That's why they met together then. That's why we still meet together today. It's very important that the church finds time to come together. There is power in unity. God loves it when we come together, when we put aside our differences. If we shared what everybody does in this room, we'd probably find out we've got a hundred different, different types of jobs that we all do. Some of us, were cheery in the morning, like Andy. Others, like me, are not. But we set aside our differences, our backgrounds, where we came from. We set all that aside to come together to do one thing. To worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do that, there's power in our unity. You see, when Satan tries to distract us, when he tries to divide us, why do you think that's so? Because he knows that we're powerless when we're not together. But when we come together, when we knit ourselves together, there is power in the church. And I don't know about you, but I want to see more of this. That's one of the other reasons that I believe the Lord had me uh, set up tonight's service at 5 o'clock. Hallelujah. Jesus said in John 17, 23, I am in them and you are in me. Listen to this part. May they experience such perfect unity. Such what? perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Where there's unity, it actually shows the world that God is there. You know what one of the biggest beefs with non-Christians is against the church? Why would I want to be a part of something that you guys can't even get along with each other? Why would I want to join something like that? That's wrong. We've got to do better. 
We've got to do better. We're supposed to be unified. And I'm talking about the churches that preach Christ, that preach the cross, that preach redemption and salvation and all of the things that the cross represents. When you eliminate the blood of Jesus, you're a cult. But I'm talking about all those churches out there that claim to be Christian that preach the truth. We need to be unified. So what if we've got a couple doctrines off from one another? Is it going to change whether or not you're in heaven? There's only one thing they're going to ask you when you get to heaven. Did you trust Jesus? Did he forgive your sins? Then come on in. Amen. Hallelujah. Here we see the unity in the body of Christ is assigned to the world. That's why God sent Jesus. But on the flip side, as I just said, why would anyone want to join a divided church? Let's work on that together. That means, and this isn't in my notes, that means we don't badmouth other churches. Pray for them. Pray for their pastors, their leaders. Pray for your friends that go to other churches. We're all a part of the body of Christ. I want to get back to uh, some of the benefits and the blessings that come along with being a part of the church. You might ask, how long did it take before the early church began building church buildings? And if you're a contractor, you know, uh, I love designing things. I love seeing houses that have been created. I love going through churches. I think it's crazy, but I do. I enjoy going through new churches where I've never attended and just looking around because I always leave with good ideas, expensive ideas. Julie would probably rather I didn't go there. But anyway, and I think we've done a pretty good job here with keeping toeing the line on our budget, but that's not where I was going with that. What I was saying is they wanted to build churches, but there's a reason that they couldn't. What do you think the reason was? It's pretty obvious, really. Anybody? Why didn't they build churches right away? You said it. That's exactly right. The church was being persecuted. Heavily persecuted, I might add. Now, I know the children are in here, but I wanted to uh, just share a couple things that I found on uh, Christianity.com's website. And this talks about the persecution. You know, Nero hated the church. He tried to, he practically burned Rome down, and then he tried to blame it on the Christians. So between 64 AD and then uh, Emperor Decius in 249 AD, the church was heavily, heavily persecuted, but not as much as this last great persecution, and that began on February the 23rd, 303 AD, under Emperor Diocletian. The article said this, Galerius, the empire's second in command, was behind this persecution policy and continued it after Diocletian's death. For eight long years, officials decreed, de, official decrees ordered Christians out of public office, their scriptures confiscated, their church buildings destroyed if they had them, leaders arrested, and pagan sacrifices were required. So what this meant was these people had to bow to their God 
whoever that was, or they would be persecuted. How are they persecuted? It wasn't like today where somebody, oh, you rotten Christians. Uh Uh-uh. It was much, much worse. All the reliable methods of torture were mercilessly employed. Wild beasts, burning, stabbing, crucifixion, the rack. I hate seeing that where they stretch you out. But they were all to no avail. They were all to no avail. The penetration of the faith across the Roman Empire was so pervasive that the church could not be intimidated nor destroyed. In 311 AD, the same Galerius who started this horrendous persecution, just before his death, he was weak and diseased, and he issued an edict of toleration. And it said, the statement was, to convince the Christians that it was their duty to pray to their God for the good estate of everyone. Hmm. Sounds like a rather selfish prayer to me. Because he was dying and he knew it. And I think he saw that the prayers of the saints worked. So he was trying to make it a law that they pray for him. Even though he'd fed many of them to the lions over that eight year period. That's the kind of stuff that the early church had to go through. How many of you have had to face that kind of thing? Now let's face it, today there are many that are losing their heads If you happen to be in a strong Muslim country, especially in Africa, Christians are dying by the hundreds every day. It's a travesty, and I'm hoping that we'll see that change. But in the meantime, what ends up happening is that the church grows. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. You would think it would, but it isn't. It doesn't, and the church can withstand the strongest assault from the enemy. Finally, when Emperor Constantine converted to Christ, the church was given a reprieve from this persecution. It's kind of funny. After he got saved, he made the edict of my land, which basically said, From here on, Christianity is legal and they can do whatever they want. (laughs) Because otherwise, they would have been throwing him into the lion's den. But praise the Lord, the early church finally had the freedom to begin building buildings and dreaming about what it might look like to have a place to worship together rather than in somebody's home. Or like Karen said, out in the field. Around the time of the Edict of Milan, Christianity had grown to about 10% of the world's population. After the Edict was given, Christianity was legalized, the church began to explode in growth. And the idea of having a permanent building became a possibility. And upon this rock, Jesus said, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So the church, the early church, outlasted the persecution. I thought, personally, that we were going to end up facing this very thing until the whole election changed. Because we were heading in that direction. I hope you realize that. I feared 
for the church, at least in the sense of how we're meeting today. I believe we've been given a reprieve. And I'm saying this to you as a local church, not the international church. I'm saying this to you in the sense that God has given us a chance to do better. We've got to take advantage of this time. And that means that we have to pray together. We have to be purposeful in our evangelism. February the 15th on a Wednesday at 7 p.m., we're going to meet right here and we're going to teach you how to reach people for Jesus. Kevin and Karen Prevost are coming back. So please, pencil that in or pen it in. Be here for that. Because everybody out there needs to hear the truth. The local church is the truth bearer. We are to take hope with us everywhere we go. And the world needs to hear it. In the beginning, they used their homes. And, and we still do that, of course, through Common Ground. You remember uh, six, seven years ago, gas was four fifty dollars a gallon. We looked at each other and we said, uh, we can't afford to come back for an evening service. What should we do? Well, let's plant a church in your neighborhood and you don't have to go that far. And it works. Church, home churches are important in the body of Christ as part of the local body. How many in here are part of a common ground group? That's what we call our small groups. Amen. Hopefully some of you others will consider joining one and or starting one. Talk to me if you would like to do just that. And we'll talk more about this in the future. So the persecution that was going on during the early church and the hardships that came along with it actually helped grow the church. So sometimes hardship can help the church to grow. Another reason that the Bible or commentators say that, that uh, the early church was persecuted was because they had this problem with going out. They really enjoyed the camaraderie that they had together and they all stayed in one spot. So God had to move them out, and the only way he could do that was to persecute them. I hope that we don't fall into that same scenario. That we love each other so much that we're unwilling to do what God's calling us to do. Is there anybody here that's ever been called to be a missionary or a pastor? Yes. I believe that the Lord is going to call a lot of people to do amazing things in the near future. And it may be in the local community or it may be in the international church. But we've got to be ears open, eyes on God. What do you want to do with me? We've got to be asking that very question. You know, amazingly, the missionaries when they went into China, and this happened up to 1900, they had great success. And then, from 1900 to 1925, there was this big explosion of Christianity in that country. And then the war came. And all the borders of China were closed. So here you have a billion people and the church, the missionaries, couldn't go in and, and 
tell the gospel or teach the gospel. In fact, many of them have been kicked out of that country. Missionaries said they're going to die. The church is going to die. It's not going to survive. You know what happened? When they went back in 1970, when the doors opened again, you know what happened? The church grew. During that window of time, when the borders were closed, because they had built local churches, home churches, they turned out to be underground churches because they had to do that in order to survive. But the church grew to some hundred million people over that time period. That's another reason that we want these home groups, because if the doors ever close in this country, we want to make sure the church survives. That it doesn't die. And it will if Jesus is behind it. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hallelujah. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. The church is a place that should represent God's love where travelers can rest assured that when they enter our buildings, they will be received and welcomed by like-minded believers. Those who believe and worship together. When you go to another church, how many have ever gone to another town and you didn't know where to go to church, but you just decided, oh, there's one. We had this privilege last summer when we were up in Minnesota, I went with uh, Alan, Claudia Pettis, and we went way over, almost to International Falls. And on our way into the camp where we stayed, there was this little teeny church, and it was, it was a mission church. And I thought, you know, that'd be kind of fun to go in there. So we get there at 10 o'clock when it started, and I'm telling you, it was nothing like this. It was very basic. But we had church. And that pastor happened to be a female. She preached a good word. And I left there charged up. Even though I was 10 hours away from where that little place is, I was still able to join them and participate with them and receive from God there. I knew nothing about them before I went into that building. That's what church is supposed to be like. So when people go on vacation, they can find a place where they can worship with like-minded believers. It's also a place where you can give somebody a leg up. Where do they go if they're hurting? If the church wasn't here, where would they go? To a government agency, perhaps? But they wouldn't have the gospel. That's what people really need, right? We are set here for a reason. We're a light on top of a hill. People know about the church, and when they're hurting, they come to this place. Perhaps the most important reason for the local church is the idea of strength. The tagline last year for the Michigan Assemblies of God was better together. We're better together. How many would agree with that? I used to live by myself. 
I was married, but I lived by myself. I didn't know Jesus as my Lord. I knew of him, but I didn't know him. I didn't have friends that were praying for me. And my life was a mess. It was a living hell back then in my early 20s. And then Jesus got a hold of me. He plugged me into a good body of believers. And all of a sudden, I started to grow. I matured in the faith. And I thank God for that. He put me in the right place. I believe you're here for a reason, and that is so that you'll grow stronger as you knit yourselves to the local church. How many would agree with me that together, two men can lift what would normally take three men individually? Right? You ever seen that? Christians who belong to a body of believers are stronger, are better together than that one who's out there all by himself. There are a lot of lone ranger Christians out there. It's very difficult to prosper like that. It's very difficult to grow. In fact, I say it's nearly impossible because we grow each other up. Abby, have any Christians ever rubbed you the wrong way? Come on, be honest with me. Have you ever been ticked off at anybody in the youth group before because they said something to you or didn't say something to you? But what would you do with that? You learned, did you learn to love them even though that happened? That's growing. You matured right there. And thank you for letting me pick on you. That's what we're here for, not to pick on each other, not to rub each other the wrong way, but when it happens, it grows each other up. What we're supposed to do if somebody offends us is what? Go to them and say, uh, why'd you do this? And we're supposed to try to work it out. That's maturity. What ends up happening sometimes, though, is that both parties just flee and they never come to a resolve. That's not unity. That's not what God wants. We're better together. All right, I want to move on, and I'm coming close to the end. Jesus spoke of wolves. Do any of you kids like wolves? Probably, you probably don't want to see one out on the path as you're walking out toward the evening in the dark, right? Oh, you do? No, you don't. Yeah, me neither. I had a friend of mine tell me this story, and I'll be brief, but he uh, was up in the UP with his, some others. I won't mention who it was because I don't want to embarrass him, but, and I didn't ask him if I could share this story. Anyway, <laughs> so he's up in the UP. He's over by uh, Porcupine Mountain, and he had to do what naturally comes. You know what I'm saying? So he tells us, the others who were with him, he said, you go ahead, I'll catch up with you. So he found a nice log. You know how things are. And he's looking out here. What's he see? He sees what he's, he, and this is his description. He said, I saw this thing that looked like a feather duster. <laughs> he realized there were two wolves staring at him. Well, he's <clears throat> taking care of business. Needless to say, he was a little unnerved, and he, he quickly done his business and moved on from there. Wolves are typically not seen as a friendly creature. Now, I love animals, 
And I think wolves are really cool, but I also have a great respect for them. When Jesus talked about them, he kind of used them in a different light. He talked about how they would come in and they would try to steal the sheep. Now, when a wolf goes after a sheep, does he go after the whole flock? Uh-uh. You catch that symbolism here, that, that connection? When we're together, that wolf is going to be very careful how he comes after you. If you're tied to this church, he's going to have difficulty convincing you to do whatever it is he wants you to do or not wants you to do. All right? That's why Jesus used the wolf in this analogy. They go after the little sheep. They go after the straggler. They go after the weaker one. And we're all weaker when we're alone. They go after the sheep that isn't paying attention. That's why we've got to stay fastened on the Lord. And what do they do when they get that lone sheep aside? He becomes dinner. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Together, hear this, together the church is able to spot the wolf in sheep's clothing much quicker. When people are together in a church, it is much harder for the wolves to be able to convince the weak sheep with their fancy speech and their insincere affection that what they're trying to tell them is truth. It'll be much more difficult. Jesus actually warned us of this sheep and wolf in sheep's clothing in uh, Matthew chapter 7, where he said, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. What this says to me is, when we come together and we are stronger together, when we come together and we see these sheep, these false prophets try to come in and pull people away from what God intended you to do, and you know them by their fruit, that's why we're stronger. That's why we're better. If you're out there on your own, they can just lead you around because you don't know any different and you don't have your brothers and sisters to help guide you. Shane, you need the church, right? We need to hold your arms up and to pray for you. You are a young man and God has a strong purpose for your life. And I know it's not easy going through this life and representing Jesus, but God has a plan for you. You just keep moving in the direction you're moving in. You may not be perfect yet, but trust me, you're going to get there. You just keep moving forward, all right? That, was, that wasn't in here, so anyhow. What I've noticed over the years is that churches whose people are knit together or unified, it makes it much more difficult for the wolf in sheep's clothing to harm those people. We know each other. We know what rings your bell once we've gotten to know you a little bit. We know when you stop showing up. And when a wolf in sheep's clothing tries to infiltrate our church, you know what happens? We come together and we open up a big old can of whooping. 
It doesn't happen very often, but I'm telling you, we're prepared to do it if it's necessary. If somebody will not accept correction, then it's time to move on. We've got to protect our sheep. And I'm not saying I like to do that, because I don't. But I will, because I'm the pastor. Hallelujah. With sunglasses. Then there's the devil. He tried to kill Jesus, and he's trying to kill you, his follower. He hates us, and his philosophy is the only good Christian is a dead Christian. And he tries to live by that motto. But it's so much harder for the devil to get a hold of any of us when we are entwined within a good church. 1 Peter 5, 8. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Finally, sheep are much more susceptible to the devil's lies when they're alone. Trust me on this one. When someone's about to take their life, or when they're about to misuse or abuse drugs or alcohol, or they're about to commit some heinous sin, they're a whole lot less likely to do that if they've got brothers and sisters in the Lord standing right there watching over them. Calling them and saying, where are you, man? I've missed you. Why aren't you in church? Is everything okay? I just wanted to make sure. We need to do that with each other. I did a funeral yesterday, and I'm about to close. I know I said that a few minutes ago. I did a funeral for a lady, and I couldn't figure out how she asked me to do it because I really couldn't remember who she was. And then it dawned on me. I did her mother's funeral. I did her brother's funeral. And I think I might have done her dad's funeral. And none of these people went to a church. And back in 2007, she prepared for her funeral arrangements and she put my name down. So that means from her mother passed in 2006, that means for 10 years she pretty much lived by herself without any church family caring for her, without anybody praying for her, without anybody looking after her. It broke my heart. And I said something to the niece. I said, if I'd known, she, she was from Vanderbilt, I guess. And I didn't even know she was there because last time I met her, she was in Lewiston. So here this person's right in our backyard. And we could have been ministering to her. And she could have been growing with us. What a shame. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. Stay in the church. If you're not already, become a strong part of the local body. You will be so much better off. We are truly better together. It's important to understand our roots as a church. We know what the early church, that they didn't meet in beautiful, ornate church buildings back then. Rather, they met by convenience in their homes and in the Jewish synagogues. We also know that due to persecution, it would have been illogical for those believers to build these ornate structures. They would have been sitting ducks by their enemies. But once the brunt of the persecution ended, Christians began to think about what it might look like 
to have a church building on every street corner. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that here in the U.S. This is God's strategy to reach the world. We are God's strategy. When people say, ah, you don't need to belong to a church, really? How effective are you being then? We're stronger together. We're better together. The church is a safe harbor for those that are seeking Jesus. The church is a non-judging entity where broken people unite. Amen? Having been saved by the blood of Jesus and forgiven of our sins, together we are Jesus with skin on. And we are called to hold each other up and to hold each other to that higher holy standard that God has set for us. Together we are better. Now next week, and I already said this, the church is a living organism. Next week we're going to look at the living body of Christ. You don't want to miss the message next week. It's going, to, it's going to hit you right between the eyes, and I believe it's going to grow a lot of us up quickly. So be back here next Sunday. The church is a part of God's plan for His good news to reach every person on this planet. In Africa, local churches are popping up all over the place. In fact, Africa is the fastest Christian organism. It's growing faster than it even is here. They're sending missionaries out from Africa. I think we need some of those here. I was thinking about that. How awesome would that be? Brothers and sisters in the Lord coming over from Nigeria to bring the truth because we've been sitting on it for too long. God forgive us. Jesus said, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I believe that. And why, why I'm sharing why the church is because the church is God's tool to reach the world with the gospel. We can't minimize it. In fact, we have to capitalize on it. Would you stand with me? We have a job to do. We have to look out for each other. In the name of Christ. It begins with Jesus, but once you've committed your heart and your life to Him, once He's forgiven you of your sins, you need to get locked into a local church. If it's not here, it needs to be wherever you live, but you need to find a church that resonates with you and you hear that, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. How many have heard that? Yes. It's awesome. God wants you to know where you fit. And if you pray, he'll tell you. If it's not here again, I pray that you find where you belong. If it is here, I'm extending this to you today as your pastor. Please, lock arms with us. Find your place in the body. And again, I'll talk more about this next week. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He has a plan to prosper you, not to bring harm to you. Your future is bright. And when you join the church, capital C, and then you get involved in the local church, little c, there's nothing that you can't do through Jesus. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning?
you're here today, you'd say, Pastor, that's all fine and good, but I just don't know what the next step is. Well, I can tell you what it is. Give Jesus your heart. If you haven't already done that, give Jesus your heart. Say, Lord, forgive me of my sins and make me a new person. From this day forward, I want to serve you. I want to get plugged in. I want to grow in you. I want to learn about the Bible and what it has to say about you. That's what I'm going to commit to. That's you. But you might be here today and you might say, you know what? I've just kind of been going through this life without doing much of anything. I'm just doing my own thing, you know. Whatever floats my boat. Some of you are retired. Some of you are still working. Some of you are children. You don't even know what's next. God has a plan for you, children. Oh, man, does he have a plan for you. I don't know exactly what it is, but I could tell you this much. You keep seeking him, you keep praying for each other, and you'll discover what it is, what he wants to do with you next. And it's going to be awesome. Whatever God does, it's always awesome. So if you're here today and you would say, Pastor, just pray for me that I find my place whether it's in this body or another. If that's you, can I see your hands lifted up? You just need to find your place. Hallelujah. Yes, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. How many already feel like this is where you belong? Just lift your hands up so I can see them. Yeah, thank you. All right, some of you didn't raise your hand. I don't know if you're just, I don't know. I'll leave that between you and the Holy Spirit. I just stopped there. Would you pray this prayer with me? Father God, I want to be a part of your plan. You told Peter that you were going to build the church starting with him. I want to be grafted in. I want to be a part of your bigger plan. Help me to find my place in the local body. Show me what I'm supposed to do. Connect me with the right people. Show favor on me wherever I work or in my school that I might help somebody come to know Jesus as Lord. I'm a part of your church, Lord. If this is you, just lift your hand up and say, I yield to you. Lift your hands up. I yield. Say it out loud. I yield to you. Come on, let's say it with some pizzazz. I yield to you. Every person that's a believer in this room should be lifting your hands up. And I feel like this is a sign of faith. I yield to you. So let's say it together on the count of three. One, two, three. I yield to you. You just gave God permission to do whatever he sees fit in your life. All right. I'm done. But I want you to understand this. The Lord's not done. He's just starting. We are going to see signs and wonders follow. When we come into this room in unity, when we meet in that prayer room in unity, when we pray for each other at our houses, in our homes, when we remember those that are missing and we call them and say, Hey, what's up? Where are you? Haven't seen you in a couple weeks. Everything okay? That's what the church does. Right? That's what we should be doing at Mount Hope Church. I challenge you to do this. 
better together. Yes. Wednesday morning prayer at 9 a.m. For those that aren't typically able to make it out, uh, Drew, he'll pray for you, or you can bring your prayer requests with you, or you can pray for others, and that will be in the prayer room right in front of the children's wing. You still love me? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Woohoo! I can't wait to see what God's going to do here. What you're seeing happen down on that other end is for such a time as this. And we're just about ready to see this place explode. So you hang on. You keep praying for your, your, uh, your people. I got people. Right? Amen. Lord, keep us safe in our coming and in our going. Keep challenging us, Lord, to do what you've called us to do, to do church together. Lord, uh, I know we're better together. And Lord, I pray that would just resonate within our spirit throughout this week. Bring them back next Sunday. Bless our coffee time and snackies. We love you and we commit this church and its success into your hands. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, We pray you enjoyed this message from Pastor Norm Oberlin. If you would like to partner with Mount Hope Church, you can make your tax-deductible donation online at GaylorChurch.com. From there, just click on Give Online Now. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.